0: Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable
1: podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. It is another week here on the National Crawford Roundtable with myself, of course, Bob Duco, John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron. Guys, how are you today?
2: Doing well, Bob. Doing well, Bob. Very good. Good. Always,
1: Always good talking with you. It looks like our governors are allowing us to at least open the curtains to our windows and be able to look outside. So we're, we're getting, uh, inching ever that much closer to normal life, I suppose. But uh, in this podcast this week, we're going to talk about the efforts to reopen states because, of course, this week is the end of April. And so therefore, starting with May 1st, we're having several states that are beginning the process of reopening some businesses. Those states at this point are Georgia, Colorado, Tennessee, Mississippi, Vermont, Wisconsin, Florida, Alabama, Texas, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, North Dakota, Arizona, Oklahoma, and Montana. If your name, if your state wasn't listed in that, well, then you know what? Just be quiet and stay back in your house because you're not allowed to start peeking outside yet. Uh, So let's talk about... Some of the processes of the reopening first, and then we'll talk about the wisdom of this and should we be doing it faster or slower. And John, let me start with you. John Rush, Rush to Reason, you're on this list. Colorado says that they are starting to open up some things this we week. Are. But Where do you guys stand in Colorado? What's, what's happening?
3: Uh, we have a safer at home order, which means it's still safer to stay home, but businesses are starting to open up. We've allowed um, elective surgeries now to start happening once again. And yeah, we are on track. Now, what we've got going on in Colorado, though, which we could get into and talk about, is we have certain health departments and counties that are kind of, you know, circumventing, if you would, what the governor is actually doing. And so we've got some counties saying, nope, 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 we're going to be on lockdown until, you know, May 15th or May 8th or whatever magic number they think they've come up with. And so there's a little bit of of how should you say this uh, unknown, depending upon where you are, where you shop, where your business is, and so on. It's not consistent, is what I'm trying to get at. I see. Uh, is there any
1: indication when in Colorado you guys might be actually opening up more businesses, like letting the restaurants open up and actually letting them go to, we'll say, full capacity? And I mean, any
3: no. best guess? No, I wish there was. In fact, I think that's a huge lack of leadership from a lot of these governors when it comes to what you're asking me. Because, Bob, I should be able to tell you that answer. I should be able to go on air and say that answer. But the reality is there is no answer because nobody knows. (laughs) wow uh
1: okay so this thing just that's where we stand in uh, colorado let's go to uh california of course roger marsh the people's republic of california what's it looking like gavin newsom giving any kind of indication at all
2: well no Uh, and and the problem is we've talked about the how he's politicized this and to the point where it would certainly work for his advantage There have been so many different, I hate to say uprisings, protests, things like that, but people who get together and say, hey, we're going to go to the beach. We're going to go hiking. We're we're just going to go do things in cities all up and down the California coast that now the governor's had to do a little bit of backpedaling. And uh, I think we've had three different announcements when he's rolled out his plan for reopening the state. He just keeps changing it and moving the goalposts. A lot of it has to do with labor unions as far as public employees go. Um, the schools were all closed until they weren't. Maybe now that they have funding for the teachers through the end of June 30th, July 1st is the fiscal year start. And- he said yesterday well maybe we'll go ahead and open the schools in july i mean there's a lot of confusion and to john's point i think all the californians who moved to colorado are creating the county problems because we have the same problems here where one county says we're on complete lockdown and then a county like orange county just announced yesterday the board of supervisors voted five nothing to say look these are our guidelines for when we're going to open we're not going to circumvent the governor but we are ready to open we're open for business because so many cities in orange county have had protests of people saying Let's go out. I think the biggest problem, bar none, for all of this, for every state, for every county that's dealing with this, is the fact that the messaging has been so scattered all over the place. The governor says Mm -hmm. one thing. The county commissioner says something else. The county health department says something else. And quite frankly, I, I talked to some pretty... Bright, intelligent, articulate people recently who said, "Gosh, we went out and got fast food the other night and had a date night in our car in the parking lot. It's the first time we've left the house in a month." And I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness, I mean, come on!" <laughs> like Bob's point about, "Okay, we can open we can open the blinds, but we can't open the windows yet." That the messaging from the government, and I realize it's it's like her, It's like putting tennis shoes on a centipede. It's impossible to do. All at once perfectly but the messaging has been so inconsistent on the state and local level and i think the messaging on the national level quite frankly has been much better than that i mean it, it did yes. it started out kind of rough but it's been consistently good and the people who don't like the press conferences i they're they're barking up the wrong tree
3: Oh, but yeah, well, by the way, and, Roger, and real quick, I want to jump in, yeah. Roger, to what you just said a moment ago. Because honestly, guys, I'm one that says it can be done correctly, and it can be done more congruently, and there are ways to make this happen. It's called leadership, which I'm looking at most blue states, and there's just a huge lack of.
1: By the way, I here's something to Roger and Don that you guys you're not getting. Okay, don't you understand anything that goes wrong in a state? It's Trump's fault. Anything that could, you bypass the governor and you go straight to President Trump when something's going wrong. When something goes right in a state, that's fully on the governor, but when it goes wrong in the state, the governor's bypassed and it's fully on Trump, so, which really drives me crazy. Uh, Let's go to Neil, which, by the way, Neil, we we missed you last week. We we continued, obviously, to pray for you and your family and your loss, of course, but uh, we welcome you back.
0: Thank you so much. You it's bet. good to be back. And uh, appreciate your kind words on uh, last week's podcast. I listened in. You guys did a fabulous job without me. So uh, I think I'm going to be taking a few more weeks off in the future. I mean... <laughs> no, no, no. No, wait a minute. Hold on a second there.
1: <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was it was... You know what it's like when you're driving a car and, like, half the cylinders just aren't firing in the Mm car? All it does is sputter and sputter and sputter. Uh, That's not what it was like. It was our best podcast ever, Neil, so I'm just saying. I (laughs) I know, I know, I know. And, you know, coming back just reminded me that... um,
0: how much I learned doing this, like tennis shoes on a centipede. That's the best analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to use it in the future, and I will not be quoting you, Roger, even though no, I, I, love I you.
1: Take it, take yeah. it, buddy. Oh, no here. attribution <laughs> here. We steal and we steal for our own benefit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Uh, but anyway, th- thank you for your kind thoughts, and um, things are pretty much back on track. We miss my mom, but we, we know that she's with Jesus. By the way, she, uh, her right. official diagnosis uh, or uh, cause of death was listed as failure to thrive as a result of coronavirus. So,
4: Are yeah, you serious? Was,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, she had been officially diagnosed with coronavirus, so she seemed to be beating it uh, she was into about day 11. Uh, she was in a nursing home, having been transferred there from a rehab originally because she had broken her hip nine weeks earlier. Um, and seemed to be doing fine. But all of a sudden they said that she had pneumonia and, um, Mm -hmm. and she spiked a fever and was gone in 72 hours. So it was in that sense, pretty shocking, Mm -hmm, but, um, but she was ready to meet Jesus. She had talked often over the last year or so about just wanting to go home to, to be with the Lord and with my older sister who died in her arms when she was a baby. So uh, anyway, we're through it. But, you know, it it put a whole different perspective on suffering that some people are facing right now. Yes, yes. Anyway, uh, we're we're dealing with something that's real, you know, exactly how serious it is. Is what we're trying to figure out. And um, I can tell you as far as New York and reopening in New York, there's as much fog and confusion here as I think, you know, everything that you guys have just described Uh, and, and part of, well, I'll give you, for instance, in Niagara County, which is where Niagara Falls is located and it's just, you know, a few miles to the North here. Um, they're beginning to talk about uh, elective surgeries, uh, being reopened in Erie County, which is where I live, the Buffalo area. Um, they're not looking at that for at least another two weeks and maybe a month. And they're going to be weighing that based upon, you know, uh, how many confirmed cases of coronavirus they see in the future. So all of this is like super tentative. It's like sticking your toe in the water. Like we're going to possibly try to open a couple of businesses, but if everything doesn't line up, if all 10 or 12 of the criteria don't match up, boom, we're stopping it all. So it's super hesitant. And I, and I think people are real, first of all, they're really itching to get outside because the weather's finally warming up in Buffalo. And, um, and so, you know, people are wanting to get back to something that looks normal but i can tell based on what uh elected officials are saying that there is a ton of confusion about this business owners don't know exactly what's going to be required of them and it's it's all of the chaos and confusion you guys have just described so that's essentially what's going and by the way we're in upstate new york you know 400 miles from new york city Mm -hmm. at times though we're being locked down and treated as though we're in new york city and there have been a number of demonstrations around here saying hey governor Mm -hmm. cuomo You know, we are not New York City. We're like a whole different state. So stop treating us as though, you know, we're at the epicenter because we're not. But uh, that's what's happening in western New York anyway.
1: You know, it's what you're describing there, very similar, Neil, to what we're facing in Michigan and our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, who, of course, is in constant audition mode for Joe Biden's VP. I don't know. I think about the only person more blatantly auditioning is Stacey Abrams out of Georgia. But other than that, uh, (laughs) she is. But but here in Michigan, she's just been doing such a crazy power grab. Uh, She is now petitioning for an additional 28 days of emergency declaration so that she can control it that much more the republicans in the legislature are fighting that to try to stop her from it but she's extended the stay-at-home order the order to stay in your house for the entire state of michigan now through may 15th and we'll see if it goes beyond that she has loosened some regulations we're allowed to buy paint and seeds for our garden now okay so that's something we are but and and (laughs) that's that's not That's not sarcastic. Up until Sunday of this past week, we were not allowed to do that. You were not allowed to buy vegetable seeds for your garden. You weren't allowed to buy a rake or a hoe or or even a floor mat for your house. Uh, a throw rug. And I mean, it's the things that we were not allowed to purchase was incredible. We're still not allowed to visit family. So you can't visit your kids, your grandkids, anything like that. We are allowed now to travel to a secondary residence that we also own, uh, although that was not allowed up until just a few days ago. So I got to tell you, I'm, I'm borrowing Roger's language. We are becoming the People's Republic of Michigan Uh, as well. So she's loosened it a little bit, but she's strengthened it in some areas. Now, when we go to the store, you are required by law to wear masks. It's no longer recommended. You have Mm -hmm. to do it as though we're New York City, as though we're the inner city of Detroit. And so this is where a lot of people in the state, and Neil, I think this is what you guys are experiencing in New York too. Uh, Really, I think all of us, you got these outlying areas where you have counties that say. We have zero deaths in our entire county. This is not on our radar screen. Let us go to work. Let us live our lives. Let us go out to dinner even. But it's like, no, this blanket approach of Every county has to be treated exactly the same as Detroit proper, New York City proper, uh, LA, San Francisco, Denver. I, I mean, that to me, Neil, is I think what's frustrating for a lot of people, especially people like you who's so far removed from New York City.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's causing a ton of frustration uh, and it's going to cause a whole bunch of angst for people that want to reopen their businesses. But I also realize that we're in need of taking a break. So why don't we do that? We'll just take a break and continue here in just a moment with more on the National Crawford
4: Roundtable. Be transformed by the word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Bank teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station, or listen online at truthforlife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthforlife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884, and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast.
0: My name is Neil Boron. Out of Buffalo, New York, uh, one of the hosts of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, Bob Duco, uh, leading our discussion today in Detroit, Michigan. John Rush out of Denver, Colorado, and uh, the famous Roger Marsh from the People's Republic of California. Um, (laughs) We're talking today about uh, all all of this possibility of reopening. I I don't know about you guys. um, I'll throw it back to you, Bob, because I don't know where you want to head from here, but honestly, just the concept of reopening. I mean, if if you say... um, hey guys, uh, you want to play some basketball? Is the gymnasium open? I mean, if somebody says yes, then automatically you get excited that you're going to get to go play a basketball game. But reopening doesn't necessarily mean anything that looks like normalcy because, I mean, they might let one guy in to shoot foul shots at one end of the gym. I mean, uh, so what does reopening actually mean? I think it's causing a lot of optimism is what I'm saying, but confusion at the same time because I think people realize it's not going to be anything that looks like normal for this time of year uh, right and in any given year is what i'm saying
1: well and and let's let's talk about that the the reopening of this this is this is what's been frustrating for me, and I'm really curious to get you guys' take on this. There seems to be a lot of inconsistent messaging uh, from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and and not just the task force, but uh, combined with what we're hearing uh, regarding antibody tests in various states, like for example New York uh, and Massachusetts and others. But uh, and it's this: we hear that well, we can't open up businesses too soon because if we do, we're going to get a big second wave of Coronavirus. All right. But then I think to myself, well, wait a minute here. Aren't we going to get that second wave no matter what, whenever we open businesses, if we wait and open businesses in August okay, or September, why wouldn't we get a second wave then? Is it going to be because the weather's warmer? Well, if that's the case, then why doesn't Dr. Fauci say, hey, weather does affect this? this." But he says things like, well, no, look to Singapore, look at places like that that are hotter temperatures and they still have coronavirus. So if it's not affected by weather, if it's not going to go away when the cold and flu season ends and things get warmer, then what difference does it make when we reopen businesses? Aren't we automatically going to get that wave anyway? And if we wait till this fall, cold and flu season again, Mm -hmm. aren't we for sure going to get it then? All right. So what is it going to be? Are we going to perpetually stay in shutdown until we get that, you know, that, that vaccine, if you will, and then we can create herd immunity through the vaccine, or are we going to reopen businesses and have the research happen no matter what, uh, and then just develop herd immunity quicker, which quite frankly, I'm moving more and more in the direction of that's what we should have done from day one. But let's, yeah. let's toss that around the, the table here. John, what's your take on all this and the reopening question?
3: Oh, gosh. So much here to uh, get into. Um, I'm with you. Now, I've said this on air and I've said it publicly, so I'm not going to go against what I've already said. I was for the initial 15-day deal that President Trump put out. I believe that, quite honestly, guys, something needed done to, you know, even like Neil's mom, for example, I think something needed done to let people know, listen, yes, this is something that's serious. It's not just the regular flu uh it will take certain people's lives if we're not careful and i think we should have done a two week you know sort of pause i don't know about a shutdown but we'll talk about that a pause to say this is serious now i think after that we should have quarantined those that were the most vulnerable we we've done this the opposite we've we've quarantined all of those that are healthy and we've not developed any kind of herd immunity in fact the other concern that i have guys that we could talk about is all these people that have been shut in at home that haven't even been exposed to the normal things they would be exposed to, are we going to have a lot more illness and things running Mm -hmm. around once we actually do get people back out and about? Are we going to have a lot more colds and the regular flu and so on and so forth when things get back on track? So Bob, I'm with you. And, And as a business owner myself, I will tell you, and I've been fortunate that, you know, my business has been able to continue to operate through this entire time. It's been Different than normal, so I'm not going to say it's been normal. It's been different, but I've been able to keep you know payroll going and do the things needed to keep all of my employees uh, busy. But I, my heart goes out, guys, to all the people out there, and I and I hear them. I hear them call into the show. I talk to them on Facebook and so on. And there's lots of people out there that this has not gone very well for them at all. They have, in some cases, some of these business owners will lose. Not only their business, but if, they're, if, if things don't go much better here in the very near future, they're liable to lose even more than their business. So the repercussions of this, we have not felt yet, by the way. We're not going to feel it until things start to open back up and you figure out exactly which businesses actually make it and don't make it. But I'm a fan of, because of what I just said, we have got to get things opened up, get them opened up quickly, or we're liable to lose a whole lot more than we've already lost. Yeah, that's such a great point. Roger, what's your take on this?
2: Yeah, I echo everything John just said, and I think the the, the caveat here is to, again, I keep going back to the messaging, but I think it's it's really important. The idea that we have made some serious missteps, and we've actually done a few things right. I came across an article this week in Business Insider uh, about San Francisco, and of course, San Francisco was the first major city to say, we're going to start doing this, and it got Governor Newsom, you know, the ball rolling on that for him when they saw the look like the curve was escalating and they were trying to jump to conclusions. This is a, you know, densely populated city. There are 40 cases of coronavirus confirmed in the city in mid-March when they said, we're shutting the whole city down. They're anticipating widespread panic, you know, half the state, et cetera, et cetera. As of this past weekend, the number of co- confirmed coronavirus cases in San Francisco was 1,400. And, you know, that, so then you have to ask the question, well, was it because we kept everybody locked up? or was it really not as bad as we thought? And these are questions that people are you know, wrestling with all the time and I think we have to wrestle with them as well. When the hospitals were supposed to be overflowing and now they're half empty. When ERs are, you know, they're literally sending California doctors to New York to help out because there's no one for them to there are no patients to patient with that uh, that you've got the business side of the economy equation that has to be considered obviously the health does too and keep people who are vulnerable you know where they're supposed to be but what i'm hearing as far as like california being locked down and other states opening up there are actually fewer restrictions in california than there are in other states Right now, but California is being told you're locked down, and the other states are saying we're open for business. So, that back to the messaging, back to the imaging, I, I think that, you know, in terms of where we are. I'm cautiously optimistic that as we start introducing people back into society, to, as John mentioned too, when you're away from it, you don't spread something if you've got it, but at the same time, you're also losing your ability to deal with even just the regular basic things that you're exposed to each and every day when you're out there. So there has to be some kind of happy medium in my opinion.
1: Well, and to to what we were talking about before, if we reopen businesses, let's say we just opened up restaurants and theaters and you could have banquets again and whatever. And we know that's not going to happen. It's going to happen slow and gradually. Okay, fine. But let's just pretend that we did that anyway. Uh, If we did, would more people get coronavirus? Well, I'm assuming Probably. so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, do we do we take extra precautions and steps for uh, people like Neil's mom? Okay, and for senior citizens and for people with underlying health conditions? Uh, yes, of course. Of course we do. But for the most part, for the rest of everybody else, if we just allow coronavirus to go ahead and spread. And people get it, and most of the time they're asymptomatic or they have mild symptoms anyway. And then they get over it, and they have antibodies, which means they are most likely immune now from it going forward. Uh, is that real? Is that not what's already happening right now? And and that gets me to the antibody test, and that's kind of where I want to go with this this conversation next with you guys. Is that? Uh, and we're going to take a break in just a moment, but l- let's ponder this for just a moment. What we see. The antibodies tests that came out of New York that Andrew Cuomo announced just the other day, where uh, now based on at least the the testing that they have done, the limited testing they have done, if you extrapolate it to the state, it looks like the entire state has in the neighborhood of 15% or so. Of people with antibodies in New York City itself. It's 24.9%. And so if you do the math, you're talking about between two and a half and three million New Yorkers that appear to have already had coronavirus sometime in the past, got over it. Now they they have the antibodies and they're most likely immune to it. If we're talking about two and a half to three million in New York alone, for all 50 states, we're only just over a million as far as total confirmed cases, which makes me suspect that something I told my listeners a month and a half ago may end up proving true. I told them back then, you watch a couple months from now, when we start getting antibody testing done, you watch and see, I'll bet you we end up finding out that 20, 30, 40 million Americans ended up getting coronavirus anyway, and have antibodies and are immune to it now. And we're gonna be wondering, wow, was it really necessary to shut everything down? You can destroy the economy and people are gonna get coronavirus anyway, or you can not destroy the economy and people are gonna get coronavirus anyway. So let's talk about that. We'll do it on the other side of this break as we continue here on the National Crawford Roundtable.
4: Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast.
1: Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of the People's Republic of California, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. And gentlemen, what about this question of the antibodies. We've seen the same kind of numbers in Massachusetts. Uh, so far, wherever we see antibodies tests run, and we're, we're finding out that, wait a minute here, coronavirus spread like wildfire anyway. Uh, we have millions and millions of people that turns out they had it, didn't even know they had it. Now they're over it. They're most likely immune to it. And so therefore, is this really something that could be contained for the general population anyway? Would we have been better served to just try to target, protect senior citizens, people with underlying health conditions, and just let most of the rest of the businesses stay open and let this run its course? I know people say that sounds really reckless and crazy. Uh, Neil, let me toss it to you first, but I'm really starting to to wonder if that's not going to be what we retroactively, with 2020 hindsight, end up concluding mm-hmm. some, at some point.
0: I think it's entirely possible, of course. What you're saying makes a lot of sense. The the one phrase I'm, I would go back to, though, you said most likely immune. And I, I'm wondering, you know, at what point can we definitively say that if you've had coronavirus, you can't get it again? Because if you can be reinfected, and that's something that we don't know right now. I'm saying that I think that most officials feel like they don't really have a, a real answer on that. That could make a difference in the end. But the idea that millions of people have had this and apparently were virtually you know, totally asymptomatic or only had some kind of mild um, because I have a lot of friends, uh, including cl- colleagues, that think you know I, I had some fever and aches like uh, in February, and I wonder if I had it. And right, obviously you know a test will show that, but. If they had it, they didn't give it to me, and I'm in pretty close contact with some of these people. Um, or maybe I had it and didn't know it. Asymptomatic. I think, I think, I think yeah, I think the testing really is going to matter. But on the question of can you be reinfected, that is something I think we need to get to the bottom of.
1: Well, you know what? Let's. I'll tell you what. Let's explore that question because we, you're right, Neil. We can't know if you actually truly have immunity. But I do know this. Dr. Fauci, if we go by what he says, and so many people say he's the ultimate guru who can speak nothing false, Dr. Fauci (laughs) himself, when asked this question, will you have immunity? He said, well, we can't know that for sure. It takes uh, years of clinical trial and testing, but I'm assuming that this behaves like every other virus. And so therefore, his exact words, I would bet anything that you will have immunity. Now, those were Fauci's words himself. So Mm. to me, best case scenario is that you do have absolute immunity to this. And to me, worst case scenario is almost everybody has immunity, but there might be some outliers that slip through the cracks who can get reinfected. To me, the only real question is, is it it possible that we have a large percentage of 100 people get coronavirus? Will more than half of them be susceptible to catch it again if that's the case then yeah then the the immunity issue suddenly doesn't hold as much weight but if it's just a small percentage it can catch it again and the overwhelming 90 plus percent of everybody is immune to it then i think the antibodies question and the just allowing this to run its course becomes a very valid thing to discuss and we're going to dive some more into this in the second half of this Roundtable podcast, everybody. And we encourage you uh, to listen to the second half. You can do it online. You can listen at Apple Podcasts, which, by the way, we would love it if you would give us a nice, big, fat five-star review uh, or Stitcher or TuneIn. You can also listen at Crawford.live and we'll continue the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Production. As we continue the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. Roger Marsh, The Bottom Line out of California. Myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Talking about, of course, the reopening of businesses and uh, how we process this in the midst of this whole coronavirus issue. Uh, Neil, before the break, you were talking about the antibody issue and Mm -hmm. do we in fact have immunity or not. We can't know this, but I'll tell you, and let me toss this around the table. Roger, let me throw it to you. Uh, The worst thing that I'm hearing so far are there are some cases where we think that some people may have been reinfected after having it the first time. Okay, if that's true, if that's accurate, what that tells me is that this might not be 100% immunity, but if it's 90, 95% immunity, then... That's not as good as 100, but it still makes a strong case to let's just stop trying to contain this thing. Let's let it spread and just protect the vulnerable.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think about the percentages as it pertains to, say, inoculations, vaccines when it comes to school-age children. And right. if you look at states where, you know, the parents are, oh, yes, we should vaccinate and other parents are what they call anti-vaxxers. If you get 90 percent of the school population inoculated with the vaccine, whatever it is, flu, moms, measles, then the school district considers that to be perfectly done. That they figure that if 90 percent of them have been inoculated, then that means the rest of the kids are less susceptible to getting it or spreading it. And so therefore, they're safe and they open up the schools. I think the big variable with COVID nineteen was, is, and always has been the fact that it's so new that the scientific community doesn't feel like they can get a handle on it yet because they're kind of in a car that's being built, driving down a road that's being paved, and so as they're they're kind of that's a fancy way of saying they're making it up as they go along. They really don't know, and so toward that end, anything that we talk about in terms of how do you reopen, how do you restart, um, what about herd immunity is really beholden to the masses on the whole you know saying okay well we're not comfortable opening this up and it keeps driving back to that underlying theme of look this is a virus and people are afraid that they might die i mean that's the super short version of why we're dealing with all this right here that there's a virus known as sin that's infecting our souls and nobody Mm -hmm. can see it and nobody realizes that that's the thing that ultimately will take your life and separate you from god forever but right now this is probably the closest thing that a lot of people have had to judgment day and look at how everybody's panicking. It's, oh, fine. I'll I'll tell me to lock down. I'll lock down. Tell me to wear a mask. I'll wear a mask. I'll do anything to keep from getting this virus, which is going to kill me. That's Mm. the thought. And so how, how do you move beyond that? I mean, I think everything else is just kind of speculation and conjecture, but how do you move beyond that? I think that's really at the core of where a lot of people are coming from. Hence the you know, some states are, quote unquote, open and other states aren't. Um, I think Jim Garrity in National Review <clears throat> had a piece up yesterday comparing Georgia to Colorado. And he said, look, if you look at Georgia and Colorado and the restrictions, the way they're in place, they're almost identical. But red state in Georgia, so he's being attacked. Blue state in Colorado, well, he's using sensible judgment. You know, it, it, there, there's, right. that whole, there's that whole perception again and, uh, and you' you're, Bob you're facing it in the People's Republic of Michigan and, and comrade welcome to the People's Republic <laughs> chapters it's not, it's terrible but but it's true I think that's that the over the underlying issue for all of this is you know it, quite frankly how do we get to the root cause of where people really are and whether it's infection or reinfection I don't know that that's necessarily really really the issue it's I don't want to die and there's that fear factor that we have to
1: confront you know something that's such a an important point that you bring up. And John, let me throw this over to you and the fear factor part of this. Uh, I look at, I look at, for example, the things that we die from. And yes, we live in a a fallen world. We live in a sin-filled world. And so consequently, there's all kinds of things that are killing people every day. Here in the United States, we have 7,500 people die every day from something. Okay. From something. Right. And and, uh, and I was thinking about the fact that Bill Maher, I don't get to say these words very often. Okay. But Bill Maher made a great point last week when Bill Maher said that Every year, we have an average of 99,000 people die from hospital-acquired infections. Uh, now, this is uh, this is something you, when you go into a hospital, whether it's because you had a broken arm and so you go in there for that, uh, you cut yourself, or maybe you're visiting somebody in the hospital. We don't look at a hospital as a war zone death chamber that we're afraid to walk into that when we walk out of the hospital, we lay in bed and stare at our ceiling, gripped in fear that, Oh no, I was in a hospital. I was in the zone. What if I'm going to be one of those 99,000 deaths? We don't do that. We live our lives with fear. Or we live our lives without this fear. And we recognize that, Hey, there's a chance I could be killed by something. But the truth is based on the numbers right now, John, you have a better chance a better chance of dying from picking up a bug, going into a hospital. You have a better chance of dying sometime in the next two years from a car crash, driving to work than you do from coronavirus. And to Roger's point, John, uh, there is this incredible panicked fear that we're not afraid of dying from everything else. But for some reason, we're deathly afraid of dying from coronavirus. It's just not rational.
3: 225,000 people a year die from malpractice. So not even from the bugs that come yeah. out of out of the hospital itself, but from mistakes that doctors and nurses make while you're actually in are the same people that are telling us right now, honestly, to stay home, don't go out. They're really the ones I, I feel are producing a lot of the fear that you and Roger and, and Neil have even just mentioned. And, and the, the reality is the medical community, in my opinion, uh, medical community and a lot of folks on the left, the news media especially have been the ones that really have have driven this this mindset of fear which which I, and guys and not I'm not trying to get too political here but there is a political motive here and i believe it's this anytime people are fearful you can control them more because fear is a controlling mm-hmm. thing and and we see that from everything from you know battered women's to you know battered women to bad parenting to I can go you know to to managers with their employees I can go down the list fear is something that motivates people to do a lot of things they wouldn't normally do and the powers that be fully understand that I, am I a big conspiracy theorist where I believe all of this was designed from the get go no I'm not that guy but I will tell you this I believe there are people out there that have taken this particular opportunity they have looked mm-hmm. at it as an opportunity and they have driven the things they wanted done because the opportunity was was in front of them
1: right oh you're so right and you know something people are willing to give up their constitutional rights and freedoms and liberties they're they're willing to accept a totalitarian kind of rule because of the very fear that roger brought up here that that we're we're like "I, i don't care you know what my constitutional rights so what okay just don't let me die you know it's almost like if you're hanging on the edge of a cliff by your fingernails and there's somebody standing over top of it and you're, and you're ready to fall and you're like, please, please, please pull me up. And the person says, okay, but you have to agree to give up your constitutional rights and freedoms. Uh, a lot of people are going to say, you know what? Okay, fine. I just don't want to die. Patrick Henry might say, no, give me liberty or give me death. Okay. But, but a lot of people would say, I'm so afraid of dying. Okay, fine, fine. Go ahead, go ahead, take them away. And that's what's happened here. And and Neil, to the point that Roger brought up and and that uh, John pointed out here, we do seem to be so overwhelmingly gripped by fear. And I'm saying, number one, Let's put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. If we do that, maybe we won't have that spirit of fear. But then, number two, even if you can't bring yourself to trust the Lord, at least trust your calculator. At least trust right. the math here, because statistically, we should not be living, Neil, in this kind of fear. Well, 100%. I totally agree with what you're saying. And, you know, the, obviously,
0: there are differing opinions about how deadly this virus is. And, and I think all of it will be known fully someday uh, when science gets its brain wrapped around this and when we can really look at it with more hindsight we're we're in the middle of it right now nobody's ever seen this before Um, and I think that you know social distancing in my opinion uh, was a good move and I think some of the lockdowns were important just how much who knows we're going to find out you know with with uh, testing and so forth but this culture of fear thing really can be used in my opinion as you guys have so well stated that it can be used for power grabs and people in positions of power haven't hesitated to move in that direction i think and i and obviously the media every single night um entire broadcasts all about the coronavirus protracted press conferences with people like governor cuomo and even the president i mean it's the idea that we're hearing about it all the time. And, and then, you know, file footage were for a long time. And there was some criticism about this from the major networks. A lot of the major networks were using file footage from Italy, these chaotic hospital scenes, people dying on the floor of hospital hallways and stuff that we were watching every single night in our homes, thinking, this is going to be us. If I get this, this is exactly what's going to happen to me. And all of it creates this culture of fear and death, um, which can be used to keep people in the dark about what the truth is. and And I'm not, by the way, uh, I was fortunate to be able to listen to last week's conspiracy theory podcast that you guys did, and it was an exceptional job. I was grateful that I was able to get reception in my concrete bunker, sixty feet below the ground. But uh-huh. anyway, um, but you guys made some really powerful points, and um, I don't know. I mean, I I do. Th- I'm personally not believing that this is, you know, uh, the work of the Antichrist or anything like that. But I do believe that the misconceptions and the deception that are possible when everyone's kind of in the fog about this and facing it for the very first time are, in fact, being used to strip us of freedoms that one day will probably cost us in the long run. Because I think we've all been all too willing to just give up our rights and freedoms uh, for the hope of living
1: a few more days or years. Yeah, that's a good point. And Roger, I know we got to take a break here in a second, but I'd love to get your take on, on what Neil was saying there.
2: Yeah, well, I was—I I, kind of got lost when he was talking about what an exceptional job we did on the podcast. I mean, I did something <laughs> after that. But, uh, no, you were listening right. to the wrong
1: podcast, Neil. That wasn't yeah. us. <laughs> no, no but, but seriously,
2: it's true. When you think about the freedoms that we g- do give up, I mean, it, it and have given up in the past in the name of safety and security, I mean, obviously... That type of safety and security comes with a cost and we have to be willing to understand that, yeah, we're, you're gonna have to fund a military if you wanna have the country protected, if you're gonna have to pay for police and law enforcement, if you wanna make sure that the streets and neighborhoods are are, are well patrolled. Now we're talking about something on such a large level where there is such a fear factor, and as it has been noted here before, that fear factor is driving so much policy. It's driving exactly who we are. It's made the ABC World News Tonight with John Muir the number one program in American television right now because everybody has to watch it to find out how bad things are, but simultaneously to hope that they're going to get some good news, too. So it's a very, very tangled web that's being woven right now. Let's take a break, and we can talk more about this on the other side of this break here on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast.
4: Dr. Michael Youssef leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef at ltw.org slash listen and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast.
2: Welcome back to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast along with Bob Duco, the Bob Duco Show in Detroit, excuse me, the People's Republic of Michigan. Um, Neil Boron, Neil yeah. Boron Live out of Buffalo. Uh, John Rush, Rush to Reason, uh, coming our way from Denver, Colorado, and yours truly, Roger Marsh, broadcasting from my bunker in the People's Republic of California. Neil's not the <laughs> only one who has a bunker to broadcast. From um, this this <laughs> issue of the how how it's presented and and we talked about the fear factor. I think in terms of. You know, how do we move forward now? What are the next steps? I think one of the biggest waves that has to sweep over the nation is it's going to be okay. I mean, this, the, we're, we're going to pull through this. And I'm hearing this more and more in advertising. More and more people saying, we're going to get through this, you know, with not, you know, kind of glibly. Remember the first uh, month or so here, there was a great compilation reel that was put together. that said, this is every COVID-19 television ad. All of them. It's about three minutes and 41 seconds. And it's all in times like these. We've never seen these before. We're we're all in this together. And, you know, it, it was it was actually eerie to watch all the different language that the media are using to tell us how we're supposed to feel. And where we're supposed to be. I mean, it's obviously real. You know, Neil's mom's—you uh, know a cause of death, you know, being listed with associated with coronavirus. There was a young man in our church, 31 years of age, who passed away earlier this week, and they're doing an autopsy now. He had never been tested, but they're suspecting it might have been. So, is the virus real? Of course, it is. Is it taking lives? Yes, it is. It's responsible for cause of death. But at the same time, is it going to be the end of civilization as we know it? Well, obviously not, and yet that's not the message that some people are getting. So, I mean, in terms of whether or not we reopen, uh, closing things down, the messaging is so key, and, and we're kind of in a prime position here to set the table for other people and say, look, there is hope, and, and not just to pre- preach a three-point sermon on the gospel message of salvation, but rather saying, no, look, we're, we can get through this, but we don't have to give up massive chunks of our freedom to get there. And Bob, I think that was something you alluded to earlier in terms of uh, sacrifices that have been made before uh, in this country. How much freedom are we going to lose ultimately? I think that's that's what remains to be seen. And that's one of the things that concerns me.
1: Well, it, it, it concerns me as well. And John, I know this is something that's on your radar screen, certainly. It, there is a kind of conditioning that, that people are are undergoing right now to say okay well i saw a meme on the internet it, it had a picture of the statue of liberty and she kind of had her hand in her face and it's like and it said something like uh, a virus that over 99 percent of people survive was enough for us to give up our liberties and it, it, there is that certain sense of Okay, wait a minute here. If we're going to, if we have a whole bunch of other things that we can die from that are way more than this, it doesn't mean we don't take it seriously. It doesn't mean we don't take steps necessary for those that are vulnerable. But my goodness, I don't want to have a situation where suddenly uh, the, the, the socialists and the, uh, the hardcore big government people now have a leg up nope. with a precedent set nope. to start saying, hey, now we can control every aspect of your life.
3: I agree. And to your point, Bob, do we need to be safe in the things that we do? Of course, am I going to step out in oncoming traffic on a freeway? Absolutely not. I'm not stupid. And, and we need to have some common sense, which by the way, I think we've completely thrown out the window with all of what we're talking about. But I, I will also say, guys that and these are deeper discussions we could get into even in, in you know coming weeks, but you know, we've entered into an era, I believe, that's been conditioned to be brought upon us we've taken literally you know god out of everything in the public eye from public school on down the list because of the you know separation of church and state which again is another topic we could get into which mm. doesn't exist but at any right. rate we've conditioned the population through our education especially our public school system where, whereby we have got now this entire population of lemmings that if we just scare them enough into doing x they will all follow suit, and you know we, we've got now the other conditioning. I talked about this yesterday on my show. I call it the the brown shirt training. We literally now right. through through government are training people to tattle on one another to make sure that everybody is falling in line, much like they did in Nazi Germany. And guys, that is a very very deep uh, concerning thing for me when we've now train when we're now training people to go snitch on their neighbors because somebody's having a party they've got more than five people there or a business happens to be open and they're letting people come in and get their nails done in and out of the back door heaven forbid i mean this has gotten so far down that path guys that i'm not sure we can turn the tables and go back the other direction that's my biggest fear yeah
1: and i think it's a legitimate fear
0: absolutely i mean when uh, when a dad can can be arrested for playing t-ball with his daughter at a park. And they're the only two people at the entire park. Then you have to say, what in the world is going on? And maybe some people say, well, that was a mistake. It was kind of overblown. It should have never happened. But yeah, I mean, neighbors calling the police on other neighbors because somebody's out mulching their, you know, garden or something. Uh, And this is what's happening. And I I do think that we're setting ourselves up for a pretty scary future, if that's the case. But, you know, I I don't know what you guys think about this. I just was curious because we're talking about reopening today. And I, I just wanted to throw a question out. You know uh, you know the famous scene in movies where a guy's running across the top of a building and he's got to get away from whoever's chasing him, so he jumps across the alleyway and lands on the, the next building and keeps going? Um, mm-hmm. Well, obviously, if he doesn't jump far enough, he's not going to make it. Um, and I think that if, if somebody was going to do that just for fun and they weren't really being chased and they didn't have the adrenaline, they said, hey, I think I'm going to run and try to jump over to that building over there, they better not let fear uh, be the primary mm-hmm. factor. In that decision, because if they hold up even a little bit, they're going to die. They're not going to make it. So what I'm wondering, you know, like if, if we do go for reopening here and we start opening restaurants as one, for instance, you know, uh, I mean, a major league sports would be another one. This whole concept of like, you know quarantining people in Arizona or something and having major league baseball players living in hotels where they're not allowed to see their family for four straight months or five straight months and they just play the season and they're tested every single day and does anybody really want to put up with that but go you know on the restaurant issue restaurants i'm told i've never owned one but that they operate on a really slim margin they do so so if you're going to say okay you can open the restaurant but you can only have you know 20 people inside Right. They're going to have to rehire employees who are going to come back. They're going to pay them. Their expenses are going to start going up as they start buying product and, you know, paying insurance and whatever else happens. And I don't know if they're going to be able to financially make it anyway. So they reopening can't. Can't. would be like not making it to the, to the next building yeah. is what I'm saying. Uh, exactly. Let me
3: address that for a minute, uh, Neil. And I know we need to take a break. So let me take a break and then we'll come back and let's discuss that. This is the National Crawford Roundtable.
4: Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to family talk,
3: and we're back, National Crawford Roundtable, myself, Neil, Bob, and Roger, and Neil, to your point, and being you know in, in business, and you know even looking at all, I consult businesses, I do this stuff on a regular basis, and yes, the average retail business, by the way, doesn't run on a very big margin the average restaurant runs on even tighter margins than the average typical business does. And for these politicians to run around and say that you can run at you know, 30% capacity or 50% capacity or frankly, guys, even 75% capacity, the reality is unless they're allowed to run at 100% and do the things that they modeled when they took in, and took the initiative to do the restaurant in the first place, unless they're allowed to do that fully, you're either going to have one or two things happen. They're either going to go out of business because they can't afford the overhead, Neil. To your point, or yeah. we're all going to pay a lot higher price going into the restaurant because there's only two ways they're going they're going to make that work. We pay more money for the meals we get because there's less capacity, or they go broke. One of the
1: which two. hurts the poor more than anybody else.
3: That's exactly right. Well, said. you know,
1: it's a, it's a very important point, and I guess this comes back to something that we talked about early on, okay, uh, would we really experience deaths in the magnitude of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if everything were opened up? If the restaurants opened up, if if they opened up to 100% capacity, would coronavirus spread faster? Yes, it would. We, yes. we know that, okay? <laughs> yes, it would. But, but if it spreads faster, does that mean that our deaths are going to be, instead of you know 60,000 deaths would we have had 600,000 deaths or 2 million deaths and that's where i'm saying the more information and the more data that we have the more it's clear to me that no we would not we would not experience okay. these kinds of we look to sweden and we can see that we don't have that we look to the seven states that haven't locked people in their homes and we can see that although to a lesser extent but still and, you know, we look at Florida compared to New York. And, uh, of course, Andrew Cuomo gets heralded as, oh, here's an example of how to handle this. And I'm like, wait a minute here. Look at New York deaths and look how stringent they've been. Look to Florida, which has more senior citizens and a higher population than, than uh, that New York does. And Florida has a tiny fraction of the deaths that they have there. So I don't think somebody can, anybody can say, That we're going to have these kind of disastrous deaths if we just open things up. And then you add the antibodies tests that we're seeing so far, and it tells me, hey, this wildfire spreads whether you shut everything down or whether you don't shut everything down. It's going to spread. If it's going to spread anyway, let's let it spread, and let's not destroy people's lives financially as a result
2: well not only well financially but let's talk about the their overall health we've talked about this in, in recent yeah. weeks and uh, brought it up the fact that you can shut down the economy and send people home and say stay out of the way of other people wear a mask etc etc and that might keep you from catching COVID 19 but what cost does it do? Eighty percent of the people who are out of work right now are working in the service industry, retail, etc., and jobs that may or may not come back. As John noted, you know, with the restaurants, if you can only have a certain number of people in there, if the tables have to be a certain distance, you can't have more than a certain number of people sitting around the tables. Then, yeah, and and what fun is it when everyone's walking around in masks and you know hazmat suits and everything, saying, "Hey, how's your steak?" You know, that, that kind of takes a lot out of the whole ambiance of the <laughs> right. of the restaurant dining experience. Right. Oh, you know, absolutely. part of the reason why we get together is, is to be social, you know the reality is just going to. I don't want to sound callous by saying this, but but I will anyway. I mean, people die. If, we've talked about the number of causes of death that people experience in this country each and every day and each and every year, and I we're, we're not going to know until we try. You know, we're not going right. to know until we take some of the, the the restrictions off and let this happen. And you know, obviously, if it starts to get out of control, then you've got some limits you can put back in. But at some point. You're going to have to take the training wheels off and say, "Okay, I'm sorry, secular man, totalitarian leftists who like to use things like this to control us. The reality is we can't control everything. And I think that's what we're also reaching the end of with totalitarianism, which is just driving progressives nuts, is you can't control every aspect of life. I mean, when it comes to vaccines and things like that, to the point now where their thought is, okay, newborn baby, bam, jab him in the butt and give him an inoculation against hepatitis B. Mm-hmm. The child's right. just born, for crying out loud. Right. I mean, they're right. as perfect right. as you're going to get in a human situation. And the state mentality is, start the inoculations the minute that they're born. That kind of mentality now is really being taken to task, and I think it's incumbent upon us, not in a militant way. I'm not going to go chain myself to a building or anything, but, hey, we got to call that out. I mean, we have to be able to say, hey, look, you can't protect against every bad thing that could potentially happen here. Sin is a reality. Evil is a reality. And these are things that leftists aren't prepared to deal with. So uh, talk about the harvest being ripe. It's a golden opportunity for us as Christians to share that. Well,
3: and and real quick, and guys, maybe, Bob, we could talk about this even in the future weeks, because I believe this really does come down now to the really the spiritual issues of what's going on. I think the reason why you see a lot of folks on the right, and Christians especially, not necessarily, you know, thumbing their nose at the virus, but having a a piece about how things work out, because we do know where we're going to go when we die. We've got... You know we we have a, a Lord that is in control, and we know that, and we know that he's in control of all things and so we put our faith there we don't put our faith in government, we don't put our faith in the medical community we use the medical community as needed, but we don't put our faith there so you know what what's happening from what I can see is and the reason why I think a lot of folks are scared is. A, they have no faith, they don't know where to turn, they're looking for the government to be that substitute for God, and the reality is we know through history that anytime you do that, we have other issues, and folks, that's where we're at. We're substituting God in, in the form of government, and that's not going to work.
1: You know, it's such a great point that you make, and and I think it's a great way for us to kind of close out uh, this week's podcast as well, is that a lot of people in America, John, and we all know this, a lot of people call themselves Christian, but at times like this, this is an opportunity for people to look in the mirror, do a little bit of gut check, and say, wait a minute here, am I really truly a Christian? Have I really truly given my life to Jesus Christ? Is my hope really in Him, or is my hope in the things of this earth and staying safe and having my life go the way that I want it to go and being protected from the government? And is that really where my hope is, or is it in Jesus Christ? If I lost everything, if, if I went through Job's life, if I lost my children and my health and my wealth and everything, and I'm thrown in prison even, we'll say like Paul, and I'm scraping boils off my skin like Job, and I've lost it all, and I have Jesus Christ, and he's prepared a place for me in eternity, is that enough or is that not enough? And and that's a gut check question. I think as Christians, we need to, exactly, we need to ask ourselves these questions and say, yes, my hope is in him. And then you know what? When stuff like this happens, and we'll maybe make one quick run around the horn, around the table with this, for me, guys, anytime something disastrous happens, okay, whether it's my daughter dying in my arms, whether whether it's the, the death that we've all experienced. Okay, I've lost my mom. Neil just lost his mom. Mm-hmm. When these bad things happen, you know what happens for me, folks? My on death grip of the things of this world just gets looser and looser and mm-hmm. looser. And mm-hmm. it, it becomes a little bit easier to not fall into the trap of storing up treasures on earth. But it reminds me that much more. You know, it's just not about this temporary life. We have things to do while we're here. We have responsibilities and callings from the Lord. But our hope and our faith and our trust is in what he's prepared for us in all of eternity, not the, not the perpetual spanking machine we have to go through on this earth for a few decades. But yeah. uh, I'll just kind of toss it out to you guys as we kind of wind, uh, wind this well, down.
0: Let me jump in for just a second because I I really love the direction we're going on this, and I, I just will say briefly. To me, it all goes back to the garden because ultimately, mankind, you know, in rebellion against God, wanted to be like God, wanted to call the shots, thought maybe we knew better than God, and you see some of the, you know, the vestiges of those kind of decisions coming out. In how we live our lives on this planet like we want to live in a world that is completely disease free and that's never going to happen uh we want to bubble wrap our kids so they never get injured that's not really going to happen even if we put rubber chips at all the playgrounds and literally wrap Mm -hmm. our kids in bubble wrap that'll never happen so it's this idea that you know we want our lives to be a certain way but in the end as believers, we come to realize that God truly does know what's best and our best interest is in, in mind because this isn't our home. It, life here on this planet is, is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And so we have the opportunity to learn how to really walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh and um, surrender you know, our, our earthly hopes and dreams in favor of what comes next. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't love one another here or do everything we possibly can to to share the gospel and and love and serve others and enjoy this planet that he's given us for now. But it isn't our home, and I love the, you know, giving up the Klingon death grip analogy because that's exactly what the call of of every believer is, is to learn to surrender to the things of God and give up, uh, you know, the pleasures of this world in in favor of trusting him. It's all about trust is the bottom line. Right. Roger, final thought?
2: Yeah, it really does boil down to uh, kind of a summation of everything we've been talking to. Uh, and, and speaking to in this issue. I think that the Neil's point is very well taken, Bob, yours as well, and uh, each of us has experienced loss in ways that make us you know, sh- kind of shelter in place in a whole different perspective than other people do. We've been sheltering in place for our whole lives, realizing that the yeah. world is not our home and realizing that there is illness and there is disease and quite frankly there is evil. And what we're seeing right now, uh, unfortunately, is just a, a larger scale manifestation of that there are things that we as Americans, obviously, I think God has placed us in this land for such a time as this. But as uh, as saints, uh, people who are following in the way, literally the way, the truth, and the life, the opportunity is now. The time is right, and uh, the last thing we should be doing is hiding that away, but finding ways to infiltrate, finding ways to mm. to share that love because the gospel message is for everyone. Not everyone's going so to believe and receive it, but the gospel is for everyone, and our, our, we have one. You know, we have one job. As Christians, and that's going to all the world and preach that message. So, no, um, so w- whether true. we're, whether we're locked down, whether we're locked up, <laughs> whether we, we can't, we do it without <laughs> the fear of, of you know, if I live, if I live to Christ. If I die, I die to Christ for me to live as Christ to die is gain.
3: That's where I'd leave. Yeah.
2: It.
1: John, final
3: thought. Ditto. Well said. I can't add anything to that. I mean, I guess I kind of started that, you know, this, this whole conversation and right. I'll just end with, yeah, well said, guys. I think it's an opportunity. We need to look at it that way. I think as Christians, we need to be in the forefront of not being fearful, not being stupid but right. not being fearful at the same time. And I believe we can do that. We can have that balance. We can love, we can honor, uh, we, can live, you know, we can love each other, but yet we can also hold steadfast to, hey, we've got to get things open back up. We've got to get things moving forward. The repercussions of not doing that far outweigh us just all staying home and sheltering in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? Let's just get after it. And, and Lord willing, we'll all be fine.
1: So true. And what a powerful witness we can be to an unbelieving world as well when they see our calm and our peace in the midst of turmoil. And they say, you know something, I want what they have. So uh, folks, we we enjoy all of you being with us. Don't forget, uh, you can Give us five-star review. We'd love to take it at Apple Podcasts or listen on Stitcher. Tune in Crawford.live as well. And John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver. Roger Marsh, The Bottom Line out of Southern California. Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Myself, Bob Duco, The Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. Gentlemen, always great talking with you. Thank you so much. Uh, Always great catching up with you. Look forward to next week. Amen. Bless you guys, Bob.
2: Thanks,
1: guys. We'll see you guys. Don't forget everybody out there. Also, keep Neil and his family in your prayers, you know, as they still process the loss of Neil's mom. Absolutely. And uh, God bless everybody. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.